Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science inside podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions of life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week, we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Tamara Caswell, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. No worries. Nice to meet you. It's It's lovely to meet you, and I'm really excited to have you on. Did you want to briefly introduce yourself uh, before we get started? Yep. Um, I'm a counsellor. I did my bachelor's degree in counselling and went on to do a postgraduate certificate in the prevention of domestic and family violence. Um, I decided to get into counselling because I was supporting young people. So I worked at a youth club and there were a lot of young people there who had been impacted by domestic and family violence and had suffered sort of different forms of abuse in their childhood. And I found I was supporting them a lot while I was there at the youth club. And I thought, yep, I'm enjoying supporting them and I actually want to make a bit of more of a difference. So I'll do the study to actually get the theory behind it and do it in, a, in the right and correct way. And that's led me to where I am today doing what I do. And I love it. Yeah, that's really amazing. And you do you work with youth currently or do you work with a wide range of people at the moment? Um, I work with a wide range of people. Um, I did uh, probably six or seven years working with youth um, and now I work with individuals and couples who are um, either in the LGBT community or in multi-partnered relationships. So it's a bit of a niche area, um, but it's a very exciting area to be working in. And I'm sure it's a very necessary area as well. There's not a lot of places that offer counselling exclusively for those groups. No, there's not. Um, I find a lot of my clients have come to me because um, they've felt uncomfortable with um, a lot of other therapists because a lot of other therapists are very um, heteronormative and monogamous focused. So when they're in an alternative style relationship, they find a lot of people don't understand how to work with that sort of dynamic. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So we do have this segment called Have You Met Tamara Caswell? Mm -hmm. Um, in which I throw some very good questions at you and you don't have to think too hard, you just have to answer them. Mm -hmm. Are you all good to go? Yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, So what is your favourite book? Favourite book? Um, I actually have a couple. My favourite author at the moment is called Red Phoenix. So she writes um, some erotic novels about um, submission and domination. Um, And then I like Stephen Donaldson. So he writes fantasy books. So they're kind of my favourite, but my absolute favourite book of all is Dexter by Jeff Lindsay. Okay, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so quite a wide range of <laughs> different genres. There. It's always good to be well-read in as many things as possible. I find if you're only reading one thing, your mind can be a little closed off, I think, yeah. to the possibilities of what else is out there. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's a great range. And I, I do think that there is a lot more overlap between fantasy and erotic novels than people realise. Yeah, yeah, there yeah. is actually. But, you know, it's quite good to just read all those different things and just have different styles to read depending on the mood you're in. Yeah, You know, exactly. sometimes you just want to disappear into a fantasy land and not think about the real world for a while, so it's great. Yeah, absolutely, um, for sure. What about a favourite movie? Oh, favourite movie... Well, at Christmas time, my favourite movie to watch is, of course, a Christmas movie called Die Hard. I know a lot of people just <laughs> yeah. go, really? Is that a Christmas movie? It is a Christmas movie. It as far as I'm concerned, it's a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah. So I love Die Hard. Um, but my favourite romantic movie would be Ghost. Mm-hmm. Always enjoy that. A classic, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. 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 Very classic movie. Patrick Swayze. Yeah, um, and Demi Moore. Demi Moore, that's right. That's right. Yep. Um, Do you have a favourite podcast or a podcast that you've been listening to a lot lately? Um, Podcasts that I've been listening to, I've been listening to uh, Normalising Mm Non-Monogamy. So that talks um, with interviews people who are living the lifestyle of open relationships. Um, Another one I like listening to is Brene Brown or Esther Perel. 
Yeah, Brene Brown and Esther Perel have come up quite a bit. Yeah, uh, Brene Brown, especially on this particular podcast. So yeah. yeah, she's come up. She's come up quite a lot. She's a favorite of everyone's. Um, do you have a famous role model that you looked up to? So yeah, Brene Brown's. Brene Brown. Brene yeah. Brown. Um, also, um, Robin Williams is one I sort of always looked up to as well because even though he was a comedian and he was very funny. Um, he went through a lot of stuff in his life, um, but continued to sort of make people happy. So he's always been a favourite role model of mine. And Keanu Reeves. Yeah. Because yeah. he's such a kind, generous person and he's just so genuine. So, yeah. Yeah, Keanu Reeves is, um, it's very difficult not to like him and I do get a bit suspicious of people who don't. Yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> so he, he's definitely that kind of guy. Uh, what was the last course that you completed? Um, the, actually, the last course I completed was last week and that was talking about um, desire discrepancy with couples. So it was about sexual education and how to work with couples when they have a desire discrepancy in the bedroom and um, how to work with that and how to help them sort of reconnect and rebuild their relationship. Desire discrepancy as in like sexual yeah, preferences sexual desire. and desires? Yep. Okay. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> a pretty tough one. I think that people don't really think about a lot. Um but I would love to dive into that. That's not what our podcast no, is about not. today. <laughs> um, we are talking about red flags in yep. romantic relationships, um, which is a very, very different topic, I think. It, <laughs> it's a, a completely different it's topic. A discrepancies. Oh, yeah, although sometimes that can lead into the desire discrepancies. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, well, well, we can chat about that a lot more later. Yeah. But. To begin, um, one question we always like to ask our guests mm -hmm. is, um, how do you define personal development? Our podcast is about personal science mm -hmm. and personal development. So how do you define that? Yeah, so for me, um, personal development is about always sort of being reflective of ourselves. So looking at who we are as people, the decisions we make, our life decisions, um, our life experiences and how they might influence who we are, how they might influence the people around us. And I think if we're able to sort of sit back and reflect and look at ourselves in a sort of critical way, but also a gentle way, um, I think that's what self-development and personal development's about because we're always changing, we're always learning, we're always having different experiences and different experiences can impact us in many different ways. So yeah. I think it's very important to just sort of be critical and reflect on who you are as a person and how that impacts the world around you. Yeah, and that emphasis on being gentle even though you're being critical is so important because I feel like... There's so many people who have the tendency to be way too critical of themselves and and listen lean on lean into that criticism too much. Yeah, I think because um, for me, I feel that society focuses on the negative, mm -hmm. so we're always told what's wrong with us, how it should be better. So I think it's very easy to fall into that negative mindset. So being gentle with yourself, even though you're sort of looking at how you're impacting people, being gentle is very important as well because you don't want to fall into that hugely negative mindset and um, destroy your self-esteem while you're doing it. Yeah. So it's important yeah. to be gentle. For sure, for sure. What do you feel are the main challenges in personal development? Probably getting stuck in that negative mindset um, and for me not being able to... Um, look at yourself critically. Um, some people just go, well, this is how it is. This is who I am. I can't change, you know. But we can always do things to help ourselves grow and improve and, um, you know, build a more positive self-esteem, a more positive mindset. Mm -hmm. For sure. Kind of bringing that into red flags in mm -hmm. romantic partners, what exactly is a red flag within a romantic relationship? Let's start with kind of a definition or a description. Yep. Um, a red flag is something that um, points you towards unhealthy relationships or what might um, continue further on down the path to be an abusive relationship. So red flags can be all sorts of different things, but it's mainly about controlling behaviour and um, 
stopping that freedom and autonomy of a person. So that's mainly what a red flag is. Right. I often hear the term red flags used colloquially to describe undesirable behaviour rather mm-hmm. than abusive. Do you see do you see any kind of overlap between the two? Um, sometimes, yes, there is a bit of an overlap between the two, um, but it's understanding the differences between undesirable behaviours and abusive behaviours because we all have undesirable behaviours at times. You know, if we get a bit emotional, we might, you know, get a bit angry and we might yell and scream. That doesn't mean it's abusive. Yeah. It just means that it's a bit of an undesirable or not really likeable behaviour. Um, a red flag or abusive behaviour is when it's very unhealthy, when it's um, it demeans you, when it diminishes your self-esteem, when it attacks you as a person. Right. Um, so it's more towards um, that power and control. It's more about um, taking that um, sort of autonomy away from a person. So one person feels they have uh, more rights in the relationship than the other. So that's when that becomes more of a red flag than an undesirable behaviour. Right, right. So what what are the kinds of red flags? Do you have any examples of things that people should be looking out for? Yeah. um, Some of the red flags that I quite often ask my clients and participants about... um, do they have full control of their money or, you know, is it a shared budget? Is it um, a agreed upon budget? If there's one person who takes control of it um, and doesn't sort of let you have freedom to sort of, you know, buy some shoes or buy some clothes as needed when you have to ask permission to buy anything outside of the normal groceries. Uh, some people get given an allowance so that they can go and buy groceries or clothes. Wow, yeah. And if that's not an agreed-upon and mutually agreed-upon budget idea, that's a bit of control. Mm. So quite often there's financial abuse, so they control you financially. Um, Some people will stop women, especially the male will stop the woman from working, so will keep the woman in the home. Um, And they quite often isolate you from family and friends. So one of the red flags is talking to them about how they might interact with their friends or how their partner lets them interact with family. Um, They might say that their family is unhealthy or that the family is not worth talking to and they stop them from seeing their family. They might also try and stop them from seeing their friends. So they might say, oh, those friends don't really care about you. You know, I care about you more. You know, I want to spend that time with you. What we have is special... Um, so they sort of isolate them from everybody. So, And the reason for that is when they isolate them, those people, um, the isolated people, don't have that support and they're not able to talk to their friends and family about what's actually happening in the relationship. So the only person they can turn to is their partner. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And I guess, you know, you were talking earlier about, you know, allowances and financial mm-hmm. abuse um, and also you know, not allowing your partner to work. I'm assuming a lot of that doesn't happen explicitly. <laughs> no, very no, it doesn't happen. Ex- yeah, yeah. It, it is very subtle. And it might be, um, you know, if they get them pregnant really quickly and they say, oh, look, I want you to stay at home and look after the baby and, you know, it's really important and I'll support you and I'll look after you. Um, so, you know, that's a way it happens. Um, also, too, it might just be as simple as, oh, I just want to take care of you and you're special and you don't need to work and those sorts of things. So it's it's not always... Uh, very obvious and it can happen very subtly over time so it might be as simple as if they do let you work you know they might go ah well you know uh, petrol's a bit expensive at the moment so I'll drop you at work and I'll pick you up so that they know exactly where they are and what time they start work and what time they finish and they don't have access to a vehicle So that's that control. It stops them having that freedom of being able to go to the shops after work or being able to see someone, a friend for a coffee after work. So it can be as subtle as that. And they make it seem sometimes that it's for the benefit of the person. Yeah. So an example would be, um, well, you can't go and shop and do the groceries at this shop because I 
it doesn't have mobile phone coverage. And if I'm at home and I need you to get something, I can't let you know that I've got it. Right, yeah. So that can be a way of controlling mm-hmm. what you do. Mm-hmm. So you can't even go to the grocery shops without being monitored. Yeah. Because the mobile phone keeps track of where you are. So they know exactly where you are at the t- at every t- every moment. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And that's kind of for, you know, a lot of those examples are for um, committed relationships, so yep. people who are perhaps living with each other. Yep. But there would be red flags for those who are not in a yeah, co-living yeah. Um, yeah. arrangement. Um, for people who don't cohabitate, some of the red flags might be um, really intense and really quick relationship and really quick moving love and declaration of love. Um, some people I know have um, been proposed to after a week or three weeks. So that's really fast. Yeah. And one of the things that's a big red flag for me in fast-moving relationships is when the partner says, oh, look, the love we have is amazing and nobody understands it and they don't get what we have and it's just so special and, you know, they don't, they're just jealous. They're just jealous of us because they don't understand it and they don't have it and they don't get it. Because what that is called, that's called love bombing. So they love bomb them and they do all these great big grand gestures and romantic gestures like you see in the movies. And it's like they'll deliver flowers and they'll do this and they'll pop into work to see you, you know, when you're first in a new relationship. And, again, that's about monitoring you and that's about understanding where you are and keeping control of you. So it could be as simple as texting you six or seven times during the day to say, oh, I love you and I'm just checking in, how's things going? That's those beginning red flags of that control and monitoring of where you are. So that's probably a big, big one for people who aren't in those committed relationships. Right. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of early signs yeah. <laughs> to yeah. be able to tell. What, what, how, how does that kind of these red flags and having to deal with all of these red flags uh, affect our personal development? Um, initially, you know, we might see that those things that our partners are doing as exciting. We might see them as, oh, my goodness, it's so romantic. And we get caught up in that sort of hype and that excitement. And then when sort of the um, the little digs or the little jokes or those little the sorts of things happen, it eats away at our self-esteem. So that, will, that can stop our personal development because we're not... You know, we're going, oh, okay, well, um, maybe I'm not as pretty as I thought or maybe I'm not as intelligent as I thought or maybe, you know, so it affects us and impacts us in that negative way. And they chip away at it very slowly and very subtly and it'll just be a joke, you know. Um, Oh, your butt looks a bit big in those pants or, you know, "Mm, your hair looks better this way or, you know, Maybe you should wear a different coloured lipstick because that makes you look different. Yeah. Yeah. It, it reminds me of, and this is, I guess, a term that's applied more to minorities than the specific situation, but it reminds me of, like, microaggressions when we're kind yeah. of constantly dealing with it. Is there, like, an equivalent term? Or Yeah, yeah, and that's what it is. It's kind of those microaggressions. It's kind of that they call them... Um, sort of minor digs or jokes and what that is is that that slow chipping away at self-esteem it's that slow um, chipping away of that autonomy of a person and that slowly making them reliant on their partner yeah so it's all those little things that sort of make them reliant on that one person so that the only person they have in their life is their partner which allows them that control yeah 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 for sure for sure how I know one of the ways we we've already talked about I guess examples of red flags. So if someone's listening or watching this and and they recognise that in their mm-hmm. relationship, um, there's a list there. But how do we how do we spot them? Like how do we get in a position to be to be watching out for them in the first place? Yeah, that that's a really good question because it's really hard to do, mm-hmm. and unless you have that experience and unless 
you have that sort of understanding or education about it, it's really hard to spot them because we don't really know because a lot of uh, what we see in movies and a lot of what we see in the media actually is not very healthy when you actually look at it from a domestic violence point of view because we're taught that those grand gestures are romance. We're taught that those big things and that big love bombing is what we should look out for and what we should expect in a partner. And quite often women are shown to, you know, oh, well, you know, they like me, but, you know, if I work harder, the relationship will work. Um, so it comes down to that a lot of the time, that the movies and so what we see in the media is not always healthy. So it's really hard for us to pick up what's healthy and what's not. Um, so one way we can do that is um, on the internet, There's um, you can look up what's called the power and control wheel. And that will show you um, sort of how that power and control might work and how that might look. So it will start with what they call the honeymoon phase where they do that love bombing, where they do those big grand gestures, they do all that romantic, you know, flowers and gifts and all that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden that kind of slows down and then there's a bit of tension builds and a bit of tension builds and then all of a sudden there might be a fight or an explosion and the person might have a huge argument and they might get sort of really um, aggressive towards you. And then they'll be really sorry and really apologetic and they'll go into that love bombing stage again. So it's a cycle. So it goes round and round in a circle. And that's sort of what makes it really hard to spot because every relationship, you might have an argument and some of these arguments might start off really small but... It's that tension that builds. It's that walking on eggshells. It's that not feeling comfortable to talk to your partner about things because they might explode or yeah. they might blame you for how they feel. And if you didn't do that, I wouldn't feel this way. And if you didn't do that, I wouldn't have exploded. And if you didn't do that, I, we wouldn't have had that argument. Yeah. So those are some of the things as well to look out for, yeah. that they're blaming you for what's actually happening in the relationship. Mm. And that kind of walking on eggshells feeling, because off the top of my head, I can think there's so many different reasons why you would be walking on eggshells mm -hmm. in a romantic relationship that go beyond just abuse. Yeah. Is it what you mentioned, like walking on eggshells because uh, you're afraid of a blow up or yeah. some form of aggression? Like, is that something yeah. to be conscious yeah, of? Yeah, that's something to, very much to be conscious of because it's that feeling of, okay, well, I can't say this because they might get upset and get angry and explode at me or, you know, if I wear this, they're going to get upset at me or yeah. if I talk to this friend, they're going to get upset at me. So mm -hmm. that's that sort of walking on eggshells and it's that constant monitoring of yourself and how you're behaving in your relationship that is a really big sort of red flag for me. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you mentioned earlier as well the honeymoon phase where mm -hmm. all that love bombing happens and I, I find that it's really, really hard to overlook these things because the feelings in yourself are so mm -hmm. great as well. You just think, like, it's a physical manifestation of... Oh, absolutely. Yeah, what's going on absolutely. in your brain. Because what that is, that um, love bombing, so they do that because that increases those feel-good hormones. Mm -hmm. And when those feel-good hormones are in your body, you don't always see the warning signs. You don't always see the red flags because you're happy and you're excited and this is new and it's amazing and you feel good. Yeah. And, you know, so when the little things happen or the little arguments begin, it's like, oh, well, you know, most of the time it's really good. Or when it's really good, it's really, really good. And sometimes when it's bad, it's just bad. But, you know, there's lots of really good times too. Yeah. And that's how we get stuck in that cycle because the good times are really, really good and so amazing that we haven't had them before because mm -hmm. of that love bombing that we go, oh, but they're really, really good. Yeah. And we'll forgive them yeah. and we forgive them and we forgive them. So we um, keep doing that and that builds that cycle. Yeah. So it's really, and as you said, it's that physical feeling as well because all those hormones and all those chemicals are racing through our body going, this feels great, this is amazing. Oh, so I'll forgive the bad times. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is not a scientific question, mm-hmm. but are there movies with healthy examples of a relationship? Oh, that one I'd have to think about. Yeah. Um, probably the one that pops into my mind at the moment is actually Fifty First Dates. Okay. Drew Barrymore and Adam and Sandler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, because what they do there is they're just talking and they're just building their relationship and they do that all the time. So it's just about that connection and it's just about two people sort of connecting and there's not, you know, um, that great romantic gestures. They're just sort of talking to each other and getting to know each other and he does that every day. So, you know, he can't do that whole cycle of that love bombing. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. So that I know that might seem a bit strange. Yeah, but that, Adam Sandler being, <laughs> being kind of the romantic ideal is not what I expected at all. I know, but yeah. um, one that I can think of that isn't very healthy is How to Lose a Man in 10 Days. Um, yeah. Is that Matthew McConaughey? Yeah. yeah. And... Um, I can't think of it. Is it Kate Hudson? Yes. Yes. That's it. Yeah, Yeah, because that's all about those grand gestures. It's all about her, you know, trying to sort of prove his love and neither of them are behaving in a very healthy way. Mm. And it's like, oh, well, he's doing these things wrong and she's doing these things wrong. So it's a very – it's a good one to sort of see what can be very unhealthy from both Mm. females and males. So Right, right, yeah. Matthew McConaughey does give me bad vibes anyway. Yep. That's also an unscientific statement. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. Um, What do we do when we have identified red flags in our relationship? I suppose that depends on how long you've been in the relationship. If you can spot them really early and you can sort of break free from it really early, that's really good. If we've been with them for a length of time, if we've started cohabitating and we're living together, that makes it a little bit more difficult. But some of the things we can do is we can go to different websites that might be around in your local area that um, we can, you know, have a look at, we can get that support. And um, there's domestic violence support websites all around the world. So it's just a matter of looking for the domestic violence support in your area and they will have questionnaires, they will have um, pointers and quite often you can chat to them online and um, they they will have quick exits. So they will have a little tab there that if your partner comes into the room while you're looking at these websites, you can exit quickly and it erases the history so that, you know, they, they can't check on the history and see what you've been looking at because that's really important um, because they quite often monitor your social media accounts. They will quite often monitor your phone and your emails and your Google history. So there's lots of technological abuse that can happen as well. Yeah, the internet makes it so easy to track people in your own house. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know there was a case here recently um, where a man got prosecuted because he'd built this app that he sold to abusers to track their partners. Oh, my goodness. Mm. Yeah. So it was for sale on the dark web and they could um, install this app on their partner's phone without them even knowing so they could track them, so they could keep track of their conversations, their messages, where they were, all those sorts of things. And it was, yeah, it was really not a very good app at all. What would the thinking be to even want to download? Like you'd have to seek it out if it's on the if it's on oh, dark yeah. web. Oh yeah, yeah. But there's plenty of people out there who do that sort of thing and who look for oh, that sort of thing God. to monitor their partners. Yeah, yeah. Jeez, yeah. that's terrifying. I can also think of like there's so many. You know, a parent could use it on a child as well, yeah. and it's that's a whole other conversation. Oh, it I is suppose. a whole other conversation. <laughs> but, but yeah, no, that's terrifying. Yeah. Oh, that's really scary. I. That's, it is useful in that case that, you know, domestic violence websites are mm-hmm. understanding the ways that 
yeah. partners can track yeah, yeah. other people and, yeah, yeah. sure. Um, because there's now um, in place, there's technological abuse that can be prosecuted. There's um, coercive control is now a um, law that is in New South Wales and Victoria's looking at introducing it and so are the other states across Queensland. So they're looking at introducing that as um, a law and part of the domestic violence laws that are out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be super important, I think, because mm. now we're recognising that abuse is so much more than just mm. physical, yeah. um, overt abuse. Yep, yep. Yeah. And a lot of people think that that's what domestic violence is. It's that hitting, it's that physical violence when 99% of the time the worst domestic abuse is psychological Mm. And that is a lot harder to heal from than the physical. And a lot harder to recognise as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah. the brain works in very funny ways. Mm. We might move on now to our our practice slash habit experiment debrief Mm -hmm. uh, where we talk about one habit or practice that um, our audience can implement in their mm-hmm. daily lives. Now, it is hard to do that yeah. <laughs> with, with our topic today, but did you have something in mind um, that you wanted to introduce our guests yeah. to? Yeah. So one of the things that I talk to my clients and my participants about is putting healthy boundaries in place. Um, so what that can look like is if you're going out for a coffee with friends and your partner texts you all the time or messages you... 10 or 15 times while you're out for a coffee for half an hour with a friend, you can say to them, if you message me while I'm at coffee with my friends, my phone will be in my handbag, it will be on silent, and I will not reply to your message until I'm ready to or until I have time to. Because when I'm spending time and having coffee with my friend, I'm talking to my friend. Yeah. So that can be sort of how you put a healthy boundary in place. So it's about recognising your autonomy as a person and putting those boundaries and healthy boundaries in place so that you can continue to be who you are and operate as a fully autonomous person. Right, right. And this is, I'm assuming that this is useful not just for people in abusive relationships, but any kind of romantic relationship should have them as a rule of thumb. Yep, Um, absolutely. Healthy boundaries are something we should all understand and we should all do because not only do we need them in romantic relationships it's always good to have healthy boundaries in professional relationships as well and that can be as simple as once I'm at home I won't answer a work call after nine o'clock or ten o'clock at night because that's my time yeah so understanding healthy boundaries and how we how they look for us as a person is a really important practice to put into place every day yeah. 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 Yep. Yep. What are three good things about setting boundaries? I, I feel like that's a bit of a weird question because obviously setting boundaries is good, <laughs> but can you kind of um, simplify it down to just three good things? Yeah. So three good things about that is um, you let someone know what works for you and what doesn't work for you. You can also say um, this is important to me. And I will have this free reaction, or this is what I will do if you cross that boundary. Um, and probably the third thing about that is just being confident in yourself and knowing what works for you and what doesn't, and how to take care of yourself. So it can be as simple as okay, I've had a hard day, I might need half an hour to have a bath, and that's going to be my boundary. So don't you know, don't interrupt me while I'm having that time to just sort of reset myself. So that can be, a, a, you know, one of the good things about understanding boundaries and what works for you and what doesn't. So it's almost like a self-evaluation as well yeah. as, you know, making it clear to your partner mm-hmm. what's done. You mentioned, I guess, the second point, which was, sorry, could you could you repeat the second point? I, it's just at the tip of my tongue. Um, oh. I've forgotten. <laughs> sorry. That's all right. Uh, we'll move on. Um, <laughs> just, uh, yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, literally, it was at the top of my mind and then suddenly escaped, like, right as I was about yeah. to say it. Um, I'm assuming there's a lot of challenges mm-hmm. in setting these boundaries because you mentioned, you know, uh, oh, yeah, the second point you talked about was um, letting your partner know what 
you would do if they cross those boundaries. Yeah. Yep. So how how would you even go about doing that? Okay. So that um, so if we're going back to um, when I talked about having that coffee with that friend, that setting that boundary and saying, if you text me. I will not respond. Right, right. So that's letting your partner know your reaction to mm. that boundary. Um, you know, and so it's about just being gentle and saying that if you do this behaviour, I will, you know, react in this way or I won't respond because I'm busy doing something else or, you know, um, another boundary that some people put in place is... Um, if I'm watching TV at night, um, please, you know, don't um, text me or message me or mm. call me mm-hmm. um, because this is my self-care. Right, right. Yeah. What, what are the different kinds? So what have you often come across, you know, with your clients in terms of setting boundaries? What do you often recommend them doing? And where do they begin? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's a really hard one because yeah. it depends on the person and what's happening in the relationship. Mm-hmm. But again, I start with those very easy ones of um, this is what I do for self care. I'm looking after myself. Um, so again, that phone one is a really easy one to put in place. Another one can be as simple as. Each Saturday I might need to go and have a massage or once a month I need to have a massage for my self-care and that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Yeah. So it's about recognising what your needs are Mm -hmm. and how to put them in place in a healthy way and work with your partner Mm -hmm. to get both your needs met because they have needs as well. And it's working together and it's about compromising and communicating and working out what works for both people. Yeah. And it being sort of an equal sort of conversation. Yes. It's when one person thinks they have more rights or more uh, reason to have control over one person. So it's about being equal. It's about being sort of working with each other together for what's best for both of you. Right. Yep, yep, yep. And also, I guess, on the side of being the abused person, just being a, being a little bit more assertive. Yeah. 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 And that can be very hard. Yeah. Um, because a lot of the times we feel that if we're assertive, especially as women, we feel like we're being nasty or bitchy or controlling. Yes. Yeah. So um, being assertive is something that we need to learn is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of brings me back to the question I never got to finish, <laughs> which is what are, what are the challenges in setting these boundaries? There, yeah. I, I would imagine there are so many. Yeah. yeah. And the challenges are knowing how to be assertive, knowing what is a healthy boundary and what is not a healthy boundary mm-hmm. um, because we're not always taught what they are and we're not always taught how to recognise or put in place healthy boundaries. Mm -hmm. So it's about learning and understanding that and those challenges are being able to say, hey, this is what I need Mm -hmm. and this is what I'm going to do. If you do this, this will be my reaction and this will be the consequence. And it doesn't have to be a bad consequence. It can just be that, okay... I asked you to sort of leave me alone for half an hour while I have a bath. If you don't respect that, I will go to bed and I will not interact or I won't talk to you for the rest of the evening. Right, yeah. It's just a, it's just a matter of just going, okay, I need this time mm-hmm. and if you give me this time, I'll be able to be the person I need to be. Yeah. And the person I want to be. Yeah. And the best person I can be. Mm. So it's all about working out what works for you. Yeah. And I think also just that there's that sometimes that temptation to retaliate, I think, for some people. Yeah. I know that, like, two-way abuse isn't really a thing, um, and I know it's not, like, a recommended thing by domestic violence experts, but sometimes when you're kind of backed into a corner, there can be that urge to fight back. Oh, absolutely. Um, that comes into that fight, flight, or response yeah so if you're backed into a corner and you're getting abused and you've copped 
lots of abuse, you will finally reach your breaking point and you will break back yeah. and you will explode back. Yep. And sometimes um, abusers can use that against you. Mm. Uh, yeah. So they can say, you know, they can be the ones who are instigating the abuse yep. and because you retaliate or because you fight back occasionally, mm. they will then put put it on you and they will mm. say that you're the one who is abusing them. Yeah. Because quite often they'll do it in a way where you will retaliate in public and other people will see it. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so it's easier for them to say, well, see, they Mm -hmm. did that to me. You know, look at how they reacted when I said something small. Yeah. Whereas they've been a lot smarter about how they've gone about it. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. How often should we be setting boundaries? And by that, I guess, I mean, you know, when, once we've started, mm-hmm. how do we then expand on that? Yeah, because once we start, mm-hmm. it's just about understanding, okay, well, this has changed for me, so I might need to change that boundary. Right. So it's just a matter of that self-reflection all the time, mm-hmm. looking at what's working for us, what's not working for us. So we might have certain boundaries in place and they might have worked for a little while, mm-hmm. but now... Um, something's happened, we've changed jobs, we've changed our, you know, living arrangements, so we might need to adjust and change our boundaries around that. Yeah. So another boundary might be, okay, so we're now cohabitating, I'll do the cooking and you do the cleaning up or you do the washing up. And and that's how we work on that boundary and what's working for both people. Um, So it can... Boundaries can be as simple as that, you know, that um, communication, that compromise of if I do the cooking, you might do the yard work or if I do the laundry, you might mop the floors. Right. So it's about working together. Yeah, yeah. So it's not so much... It's kind of getting the relationship back on equal terms. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. How... I guess, how, how do you feel that this practice will impact your personal development? Which, again, sounds like a pretty obvious question, but it might help to put it into words. Yep. Um, so is that around the boundaries? Yeah, yeah, setting yep. boundaries. How will yep. that help? Um, that just helps you identify your needs. Um, it helps your partner identify your needs. And it also helps you sort of build that confidence. It helps you take care of who you are and it helps you sort of just um, build on those equal relationships, equal um, benefits in the relationship. So it's all about that autonomy and um, being the person who you are and not losing yourself in the relationship because sometimes in um, relationships that aren't healthy, we can lose who we are as a person. So if we have those healthy boundaries in place, we still stay who we are while being in a healthy relationship with our partner. Because um, a healthy relationship, you have yourself, a relationship with yourself, you have a relationship with your partner and you have the relationship itself. Yeah. So, you know, if you're healthy and you understand who you are, and you look after yourself and your needs and your partner does the same thing, you can both be healthy people within that relationship. Yeah. And having healthy boundaries around that helps with that. Yeah. And I think knowing what a healthy relationship looks like is so, so important in order to understand what's happening in your own. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And it's really hard to find good examples of healthy relationships because quite often as we're growing up, our parents might not have been... quite healthy either and they may not have given us good examples of what a healthy relationship looks like um so it's really hard sometimes to understand what is a healthy relationship oh yeah for sure (laughs) I, i don't know i don't know if there's anyone who i mean at least I don't know if the perfect relationship exists anywhere, <laughs> but I think the majority of people are leaning more towards imperfect yeah. um, role models of relationships. Yeah, and 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 that's and that's part of the problem. Mm. Also, too, um, I feel that we're not taught 
um, either in education or within schools, what a healthy relationship looks like. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I believe that um, healthy relationships and being taught about healthy relationships should begin in school. Right. Yep. Because we all go to school. Yes. We all have education. So let's teach our kids from a young age how that looks. Yeah, yeah. You know, how do we interact in a healthy way in the playground? How do we interact in a healthy way with our friends? And that way we can learn to build um, healthy relationships all around. Yeah. And healthy relationships with our romantic partners. And, and I guess learning to treat even just your playmates on the playground with respect is is a huge first step. That's right. And respect is that big word. It's about respecting each other and respecting yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I I guess going back to setting boundaries, um, you've already mentioned that it's, it's almost a self-care. Yeah. It's, it's a self-care, um, practice practice that's right it's right on the it's on the sheet <laughs> um a self-care practice that isn't just about you know abusive romantic relationships <laughs> but just in general you should be setting boundaries in every aspect of life yeah yeah for yeah. sure because that's as i said that's important um that's about understanding you know a healthy relationship at work and a healthy boundary at work that way um you can try to sort of avoid you know, bullying sometimes in the workplace. Mm-hmm. If your boss is, you know, a bit unhealthy or doesn't sort of respect who you are as a person, yeah. understanding that if you have healthy boundaries in place, it might not impact you as much. That doesn't mean that the bullying won't impact you, but you, you can put sort of healthy boundaries in place to work through that and understand, okay, they keep doing this behaviour that haven't changed when I've asked them to, what are the next steps I can do to take to improve that or stop that bullying? Yeah, yeah. Is there, a, you know, a technique or, I guess, concept, I'm not sure of the exact word, that we can <laughs> we can combine with setting boundaries um, in order to kind of help ourselves? Off the top of my head, I'm thinking, how do we then identify that we need boundaries? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of – boundaries should be something that we just do all the time mm. and do naturally. Um, so that can be it's, – it's a really sort of hard one to sort of say how do we know what to do yeah. because we should be sort of – it's one of those things we should be taught from a young age. And it, from when we're young, it can be as simple as if you don't want to give your grandmother a hug – that's okay, that's a boundary because I don't know you and I don't see you often enough. Right, yeah. So that's setting that boundary around their physical body. So that's helping our children learn that this is our body and if we don't feel like giving someone a hug, we don't have to. So that's a really early boundary that kids can learn. So it's those sorts of things that we need to learn to put into practice for ourselves. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. You mentioned also, I guess, the wheel of control or mm-hmm. um, the power and control wheel. What What is that about? So that's, um, that's about understanding and recognising how that cycle of abuse can work within a relationship, whether that's a new relationship or a long-term relationship. And it's um, about looking at and recognising that love bombing as I said, that beginning, that really romantic stage, that really good stage, through to that um, stage where that tension builds up and you can feel like you're sort of walking on eggshells waiting for the next explosion or the next argument or the next big sort of conflict between the two of you. And it it can show you how that might look. So it can show you how they will be in that honeymoon phase and be really romantic and really loving and really caring and apologetic and, you know, tell you how wonderful everything and amazing everything is. And then sort of the tension might build a bit. So people might start to go, oh, oh, you're sort of annoying me a bit or, you know, can you not do that, please? That's kind of really annoying me. And then all of a sudden you might do something and there'll be this huge argument 
and your partner will be yelling and screaming at you and they'll be saying, well, if you didn't do this, I wouldn't have behaved like that or if you hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have got angry or if you yeah. hadn't have done that and then... Like blaming it on you. And blaming it on you. Yeah. And then once, you know, the fight's over, they'll go into, oh, look, I'm really sorry, yeah. I didn't mean it, you know let's go and have a have a date or here's some flowers and they'll start that honeymoon phase all over again. So yeah. they'll start doing that nice romantic stuff and they'll show you how much they love you and how great the love is yeah. and then we'll start that cycle again. Yeah. So that's what the power and control will helps you identify. If you're in a relationship, you can look that up and it can show you some of those um, warning signs and some of those trigger points that might help you recognise that the relationship's sort of not real healthy. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, that brings us to the end of the mm-hmm. experiment debrief. Uh, we might move on to some questions from the audience yeah. um, that they've sent in. Are you happy to answer them? Yeah, that's fine. Fantastic. Um, first question, for people who are already anxious about relationships, mm-hmm. how do we know if the red flags are real? How do we know it's not just a fear of commitment? Um, a fear of commitment is very different to red flags. Mm-hmm. So a fear of commitment can look like, okay, um, here I am, I'm happy in this relationship, it's starting to get a bit intense, so I'm going to disappear. Right, yeah. Whereas a red flag is that um, looking at this person's trying to control me, this person's trying to mm. stop me from doing things. So it's a quite different right. aspect between um, a fear of commitment. Mm. But I'm also thinking like in that kind of love bombing stage, yeah. it can be like if you do have a fear of commitment, it can be difficult to tell whether it's too much or like it's just kind of a normal amount yeah. of honeymoon yeah. phase kind of behaviour. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, yeah, that's one of those difficult things to spot because if they are doing that love bombing and it's sort of overwhelming you, it's like, okay, this is a bit too much, Yeah, you know. Um, but is that because they're just a nice romantic person or is it because they're doing something unhealthy? Yeah. And it's one of those things that is really hard to recognise and point out. Yeah. But... Sometimes I think with that, you have to go with your instinct. Right. And if it feels uncomfortable for you and if it feels like it's too much for you, Mm. question why it feels too much. Yeah. Yeah. Question why, you know, because our body tells us these things for a reason. We have a gut instinct for a reason. Yeah. And quite often we're taught not to listen to it. So yep. maybe listen to it in those situations that if it's feeling uncomfortable for you, question why. Mm. Why does it feel uncomfortable? What about this is making me feel uncomfortable? Yeah. Is it because they keep trying to see me? Is it because they're, you know, really intense and really focused on seeing me all the time, that they're not letting me breathe or not giving me space to just sort of have time to myself yeah and that would be when I'll be going okay if they're not giving you space to sort of take a breath from the relationship even in the new stages Mm. that might be sort of one of those things where you go hang on a minute is this too intense Mm. are they letting me be a person Mm. are they giving me the space to sort of just take a breath yeah yeah, yeah, that's a really great way of kind of uh, separating yeah. the two for someone who might be in that situation. Um, how do you find a balance between forgiving someone's past mistakes mm-hmm. and not ignoring the red flags that are yeah. in your relationship? Yep. So, um, as I said before, mm. we all have behaviours or things. When we're emotional, we, re- we react and we... Um, may not behave in the greatest way. Yeah. But it's about the intention behind it. So when we all have arguments, um, if you argue in a healthy way, you're not putting your partner down during the argument, you're not insulting them during the argument, you're not making it personal. You know, you might be having an argument and saying, well, I feel this way when you do this. Or, you know, 
when you do this, it makes me feel like this. And you can have an argument and you can do that. It's when your partner goes, well, you're a lazy so-and-so and you didn't do this and you didn't do that and they're insulting you during the argument mm-hmm. and they're putting you down during the argument and um, it's all about attacking you during the argument. That's one of the differences to look out for. So if it's just that you had an argument because, hey, the dishes haven't been done and you're tired and, you know, you asked them to do the dishes and they haven't done them, you know, that's a different thing. But if they start insulting you during that, when you say, look, I asked you to do the dishes, they didn't get done, oh, well, you're lazy and blah, blah, blah. If they start attacking you and personally putting you down during an argument, that's how you can tell when to forgive them or when to look out for what is a red flag and what might be abusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do people in long-lasting marriages see the red flags in their relationship and choose to ignore it? It's not a matter of choosing to ignore the red flags. They might see them, mm-hmm. but they might not have the capacity mm-hmm. or... So if there's financial abuse, they might not have the finances to leave. Right. Also, too, if they're in a long-term committed relationship and they know the red flags are there, they might not feel safe to leave. Mm -hmm. Um, The biggest risk factor for death in domestic violence relationships is when they decide to leave the relationship. That increase of risk towards the person leaving the relationship increases exponentially as they try to leave Mm -hmm. because that partner who has been controlling them will try to get that control back. Right, yep. So they escalate and their behaviour escalates. So it's not as simple as ignoring the red flags and Mm -hmm. saying it's it's very complicated and they might not be able to leave. in domestic violence relationships, quite often it will take eight or nine attempts to leave before they can actually leave because the, um, the abuser will love bomb them, they will convince them to come back and it might be the fact that financially they can't support themselves and they'll be homeless if they don't stay with that person. Yeah. And if they've got children involved, they don't want to be homeless with their children. Yeah. So it's not as simple as just ignoring the red flags. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And I guess the final question is, you know, if we are in that abusive relationship, mm-hmm. should we discuss the red flags with our partner or should we? Not with our partner, no. No. Because um, that can escalate their behaviour and can make the um, abuse towards you even worse. So mm-hmm. we don't discuss it with our partner. Mm-hmm. Um, we can try to... Um, minimise mm-hmm. um, their reactions, yeah. which is really hard. Um, but I would suggest the most important thing that you can do is reach out to family or friends. Even if you haven't talked to them for a while, even if you have been isolated from them and they don't want to talk to you, please try and reach out to family and friends because they're your greatest support at that time and they will always be there for you. Yeah. 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 Brings us to the end of the questions from audience. A bit of a somber note, but yeah. uh, that was to be expected, I think, yeah. with the topic. I think like, so with the topic, yeah. Yeah, for sure. We now have our final segment, which is the open mic, where yeah. I just let you have a little bit of a TED talk about whatever you want mm-hmm. um, for a few minutes. What would you like to talk about? Oh, I suppose um, just healthy relationships and communication. Communication with your partner is um, very important and talking to each other, talking about um, everything and anything but doing it in a healthy way where both people are respected and both people feel like they are part of the conversation. Um, That's... For me, that's what a healthy relationship looks like. You know, both people are able to go and do their own hobbies and have their own interests, but also come together too to do things together and have experiences together. So communicate, communicate and communicate. Just talk. Talk to your partner about your uh, dreams. Talk to your partner about, 
you know, where you want to go, what you want to do, your travel dreams, all those sorts of things. And also open up to them and be vulnerable about what hurts and what doesn't hurt, um, what things you've been through in your past because that makes you who you are. Yeah. yeah. So just talk to each other. Yeah. Communication is so important because we forget so often in romantic relationships that our partner can't read our minds. Yeah, that's right. We, yeah. we think they should always know what we want or how we want it or what we're thinking. Yeah. Um, but they're not mind readers. Yeah. Nobody's, well, most people aren't mind readers. <laughs> yeah, well, I would hope not. <laughs> I would hope there are not any out there. I don't know how I feel about my mind being read without my permission. <laughs> Uh, but Tamara, thank you so much um, for joining me today. Even though the topic has been a bit dour, mm-hmm. I have had a lovely time. I've learned so much. Mm-hmm. Um, where can our audience find you? Um, at the moment on my website. So my website is moongrovecounselling.com.au um, and that's where you can find information about me. Um, if you're looking for relationship counselling or support around these sorts of things, you can look me up there as well. And um, if you want, you can book an appointment with me through my website. So. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's been great chatting to you and I've enjoyed it. I've had such a great time too. You've been listening to Self-Improvement Atlas, the personal science insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can also be found on our website at pe.lmsl.net where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.